0: Hello, my name is Jody Lee Mott, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, posted on the first and third Monday of each month, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Lisa Klein-Ransom. Uh, she's author of several picture books and the recent middle-grade novel Leaving Lyman. Uh, that's a companion book to her novel, Finding Langston, uh, which I had the great pleasure of reading last year. We're going to be talking about The Diary of Anne Frank. And since I always start with a poem, I thought an appropriate poem for today's podcast would be The Butterfly by Paval Friedman. Uh, Paval wrote this on June 4, 1942, when he was 21 years old, during the time that he was at the concentration camp Terezin. It was later recovered and published with other poems written by children during the Holocaust and put together in the collection, I Never Saw Another Butterfly. Paval died in Auschwitz on September twenty ninth, nineteen forty four. The butterfly. The last, the very last, so richly, brightly, dazzlingly yellow. Perhaps if the sun's tears would sing against a white stone. Such, such a yellow is carried lightly way up high. It went away, I'm sure, because it wished to kiss the world good bye. For seven weeks I've lived here penned up inside this ghetto, but I have found my people here. The dandelions call to me and the white chestnut candles in the court. Only I never saw another butterfly. That butterfly was the last one. Butterflies don't live here in the ghetto." My guest today is Lisa Klein-Ransom, the award-winning author of such picture books as Before She Was Harriet, Game Changers, and Counting the Stars, and the middle-grade novel Finding Langston. Her latest picture books are Overground Railroad and The Power of Her Pen, the story of groundbreaking journalist Ethel L. Payne. Her latest middle-grade novel is Leaving Lyman, and all of these came out earlier this year. You can find Lisa's website at www.lisakleinransom.com. Thank you for joining me today, Lisa. Oh, thank you, Jody. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, as I mentioned, you've got you've got a lot of books uh, that have, have come out. Uh, a couple of them are picture books. Why don't we uh, start with uh, Overground Railroad and uh, what that picture book is about.
1: Yes, yeah, so Overground Railroad is the story of a young girl named Ruth Allen and her family who are leaving the South, uh, North Carolina, in the 1940s and coming north for the chance for better opportunities and education. Many of my stories, uh, there have been uh, a theme recently because I read the book Isabel Wilkerson's The Warmth of Other Suns, uh, the epic story of America's great migration, um, which focuses on the story of African-Americans who left the South from the 1900s, early 1900s through 1970. And so that story so resonated with me that it actually sparked the ideas for several books. Finding Langston, Overground Railroad, and of course, my newest, Leaving Lyman.
0: And so uh, it's these these sort of various stories that you read about sort of um, helped to sort of inspire this particular story. And this is a fictional story that you're telling sort of based on historical uh, happenings.
1: Exactly. So, you know, what I loved about Isabel Wilkerson's novel, which is this Pulitzer Prize winning um, just masterpiece where she kind of recounts the stories of all these African-Americans who left the South in the in the early 1900s. Um, she talks about, you know, their hopes and their dreams for a better life and, and leaving South under Jim Crow segregation and um, all the issues they faced there and how so many of them were hoping for this, this new beginning in the North. And it also kind of parallels my own parents um, and my own families. Um, travels from the South to the North. My my mother left Charlottesville, Virginia, when she was five years old in 1930 uh, and traveled to Everett, Massachusetts with her mother. And my father left Shelby, North Carolina, when he was 11 years old with his mother and younger brother, and they moved to Providence, Rhode Island. So these stories are not only, you know, was I inspired by Isabel Wilkerson's story, but they're personal stories for me as well. So in Overground Railroad, here's the story of of Ruth Ann and her parents, and you know these are people who are unsure of of what they're going to, and leaving everything they know behind. And Ruth Ruth Ellen is carrying a book with her, the story of the autobiography of of the life of Frederick Douglass. And that in this book, you see that the stories, um, the story that she's reading about Frederick Douglass's life, in many ways parallels her own. Here are uh, two people leaving behind everything they know and going to what they don't. And, um, you know, he was um, running and she's also running. And in the book, it talks about they're running, running from and running to at the same time.
0: Uh, and the second book, the picture book you have coming out is called, uh, like I said, The Power of the Pen, The Story of Groundbreaking Journalist Ethel L. Payne. And that sounds like more of a, uh, a nonfiction uh, 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 book, I take it.
1: Yes. Yes. So I write primarily picture book biographies, and I've, I've been um, doing that for, oh, this is probably my, I don't know, it's probably about my 18th um, picture book. Um, my very first picture book was Satchel Paige back in 2000 that, that was released. But um, Ethel Payne is a really fascinating story. My editor at Simon & Schuster called me up. Um, she had heard a segment about Ethel Payne, this White House journalist, White House correspondent, and she was one of the very, first um, African American White House correspondence. and I think her tenure began with Truman and I think the very last president that she was working with was Carter and um, just her fascinating tenure and the questions that she asked and and what was different about Ethel Payne, obviously um, as an African American woman in the um, White House press pool was that many of her questions were pointed and directed at the presidents and asking them questions that directly impacted the black community. Many of the time, those questions were not being asked. And so now question, um, presidents had to respond to a reporter who was trying to get questions answered and, and speak to legislation and policy that directly affected the black community.
0: And what is your, when you do, you say you've done a lot of these uh, biographical uh, uh, books. Uh, what is your process? I mean, does it is I, I I know there's obviously a lot of research. Or how long does the research take before you feel like you're ready to actually start uh, putting words on a page uh, for the book itself?
1: Well, I have to say that I think the research process actually takes longer than the writing process. I mean, I really feel like I have to get to know someone and I have to find a way to connect with that person personally. And so I generally read as many books as I can. It's always good to have, you know, you pray that, that you can find some type of autobiography. Um, but if not, um, I just do as much research as I can online um, and as many secondary sources as I can um, newspapers, newspaper accounts. So I do probably three months usually of, 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 um, of research. Usually when I get to the point where I am reading the same material over and over again or I'm reading something, and I say, okay, I already know this. I already <laughs> have this information. Then I know that I've reached the point where I think my research is complete and I can probably start writing. But I I will continue to research. I won't write one word down until I've completed my research. Now, Now, as I'm doing my research, when I'm coming across things that I think might be intriguing for young readers... I generally start to mark up my research and I make a note of what I think will be included in um, in the book that I'm writing.
0: Now, I know you, a lot of your picture books are illustrated by your husband, correct? Uh, and I don't know if that's going to be the case here. And I was just wondering in, uh, what that sort of collaborative process is uh, in writing a picture book. Um, do you write all the words out and then he does the illustrations? You sort of is there back and forth. I was just kind of curious what that uh, creative process was.
1: Well, the, the interesting thing about that is, you know, we we are, you know, on, on paper, we're collaborators, but in reality, you know, all processes are completely separate. So generally, sometimes we talk about a project that we would like to work on together. For example, the book Before She Was Harriet, that was a book that we talked about working on together, and we did talk about um, the structure of that book, but that was pretty rare. Usually, I... um you know, I'll say, oh, this is a book that I'm interested in, or he'll, you know, I'll I'll start writing the book. Um, I work with an editor, and I go through that whole process. And let's say it's taking me, you know, six months to, to, to research and write the book. And then it could be about a year, two, or even three years before James begins um, illustrating the book. So by the time he starts illustrating the book, I've moved on and I'm already working on, you know, two or three other projects. So when he starts illustrating and he's even asking me questions about, you know, on this page, when you wrote this, you know, what did this mean? Or, you know, he's trying to, you know, understand something. I've basically forgotten, uh, (laughs) you know, what, you know, what I've written. But the good part about collaborating is that he can use a lot of the research that I've gathered, but... Our processes are so separate. We don't even work near each other. That's how separate we are um, as right. collaborators.
0: Oh, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Yes. Now, now, the other book you've got uh, coming out is, a, um, like I said, is a middle grade book, um, Leaving Lyman. And I, I did have a chance to read your your previous middle grade book, Finding Langston, which is uh, a wonderful book. Uh, it was, It was on our, my uh, library's uh, recommended shelf. I took it down and read it, and uh, I just— You know, it's just such a a terrific novel. And so uh, leaving Lyman, can you talk a little bit about what this um, latest middle grade novel is about?
1: Oh, sure. So um, just to to go back a little bit to to Finding Langston. So I, again, had come up with a story um, from the uh, Isabel Wilkerson's The Warmth of Other Sons. And I had written a picture book, basically, and I had difficulty actually – selling that book. And I had an editor who said to me, you know, this book is really great. But I think the problem is, is that it's actually a middle grade novel. And I thought, "You know, I've never written a middle grade novel, I'm a picture book writer. And she said, No, this is a middle grade novel. So um, she worked with me to develop it and to um, expand it into a novel. And it became Finding Langston. And so when the book was finished, we got, you know, really great response. And she said, I think that, that the character in the book, the bully in the book, Lyman, deserves a little more attention. Often we wonder about, you know, um, the bully and the story behind the bully and what happens to, what happens to make someone a bully? What happens to the kids who are bullies? What happens to them before they come to school and become that bully? And so maybe we, that's something that needs to be explored. And so together we talked about possible scenarios and things that have happened and one of the scenes in finding Langston was a scene, um, a crucial scene in a schoolyard where Lyman takes Langston's book and rips it open and rips it apart. Langston says to Lyman, you can barely read. And so I started at that point in the book and I start thinking, why can't Lyman read? And so I go all the way back in time and basically, um, talk about Lyman's very early beginnings in the South. He too is from um, the South and his parents, he winds up migrating from the South to the North. But Lyman has a very, very difficult road before he comes to Chicago and leaving Lyman traces that path as he travels from Vicksburg, Mississippi to Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin, and then finally to stay with his estranged mother, her very uh, difficult and abusive um, husband and his very difficult path uh, forward.
0: So this is not so much as a sequel to the other novel, but it's kind of an extension uh, looking at one character and seeing their, their own. It really is a very a similar story in that movement from the the South to the North. It, his story is also a very different uh, story.
1: It, absolutely. It is it's definitely a companion. It's a book that kind of stands alone. I, I think maybe I imagined it initially as a sequel, but his story developed so much, it kind of took a life of its own, and so it's definitely more of a companion than a sequel. Mm. Would you would you like to share part of that book with us? Sure. Um let me give you a little bit of a of, of a background. So Lyman Lyman's father the story begins with Lyman's father at the Parchman State Penitentiary called Parchment Farm in the nineteen thirties. Um, and his mother has, is, has moved away. So he's being raised by his very loving grandparents. And one of the things that Lyman has that actually saves him is his love of music, which has been given to him by his, um, wonderful, wonderful grandfather. And so we see here how this love of music has developed in him through his relationship with his grandfather. Vicksburg, Mississippi, 1939. I knew it was Friday when Grandpop started cleaning his guitar. He worked all week at the mill, coming home every night, tired, dirty. Ma had supper ready, and as soon as Grandpops washed up, we'd eat. After the supper dishes were put up, Ma sat out front with me and Grandpops watching the lightning bugs and doing her crocheting. Grandpops talking a mile a minute and plucking his favorite songs on his guitar. Ma saying every now and then, "Mm -hmm," mm-hmm, tapping her foot. But on Friday nights, Grandpops didn't eat supper with us. He'd come home, same as always, but he'd wash up, then polish his guitar, check the strings, and one by one, his men friends would come by the house with guitars and harmonicas, one banjo. Ma would stay in the kitchen making sandwiches and put them on a big old plate and bring out some soda pop to the front room. Later it got, after the sandwiches and pop were gone, the men took out jars of other drinks they passed around. When it was still early, Grandpops would let me sit with them in the front room and listen. Sometimes they did more talking than playing, but on a good Friday night when everyone was in the mood for playing, it could go on nearly all night. The man with the banjo was Mr. Cho from church. He came every week with the same old beat-up overalls and worn-through shirt. He looked old enough to be my grandpa's daddy, but if you closed your eyes when he sang, his voice sounded young and sweet as a girl's. He hiked up one leg on the chair while he played his banjo, tilted his head back and sang... On those nights, I'd see Ma standing in the doorway of the kitchen, her hand tapping her thigh and time to the music. My grandpops would strung along behind Mr. Joe's singing, and you could hear the other men saying low, Come on now, Joe, and tell it, just like we were in church on Sunday morning. If it got too good, I couldn't stop myself from clapping. One time, grandpops pulled me onto his lap. You remember that song we've been working on, he asked. I nodded. Go on ahead then, he said. Grandpop set his guitar on my leg, and I started right in playing. I looked around, and all the men were nodding their heads, smiling, and making me feel like church again. When I played the wrong note, they said, That's all right, son. I felt like one of them then, as big as my grandpops and his men friends. When I finished, they all clapped and shook my hand. Nice work, little man. We're going to need to pull up another chair soon, my grandpops told me. But for now, you need to get on to bed. My mom took me in and got me washed up. When I settled in, I laid awake listening to them play, thinking, wasn't nothing better than my grandpa's Friday nights and music. So in, in that in that chapter, um Ma does refer to his grandmother. But um yeah, so you see uh the love and the care and the music that has been a part of his life from when he was very young.
0: And how important it is to it's the music, but the participation in the music and the sense of belonging that he feels—that uh, yes, the music yeah. helps. Uh, to, I guess he describes it as being almost like being in church in some ways. So being part yes. of the the music and the community of that uh, around that music.
1: Absolutely, yes, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, I, like I said, I I really like the the previous novel, so I'm looking. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I'm looking forward to it.
1: Oh thank you. Thanks. I hope you I hope you'll enjoy it. I
0: hope so. Now, the book you picked out as your own uh, particular uh uh favorite book for uh young readers, although this is a little bit different, it's not specifically a book for uh young readers, but I think a lot of people encounter it uh when they're very young. It's the Diary of Anne Frank. And this was actually uh first published in nineteen forty seven. It is, you know, Anne Frank's diary. And like I said, even though it's not Uh, specifically a book directed towards young readers, like I said, I think it is a book that a lot of us first encounter when we're very young. And, uh, you know, this is probably a very familiar book. I'm going to ask you if you could still talk a little bit about, for those who might not be familiar with it, which seems unlikely, but uh, you talk a little bit of what this book is.
1: So, you know, the diary of Anne Frank is the story of a young girl who uh, was born in Germany, but it moved to, had to move to Amsterdam with her family in the 1940s as the uh, Nazis, as Hitler took over. And her family is forced to go into hiding as the uh, SS and Nazis begin to crack down. And for two years, Anne Frank lived in this secret annex, she called it, um, with another family, And while there, she wrote of her experiences in her own diary, and she developed a a character named Kitty um, based on a a book that she was reading, and she kind of created this fictional character to write, to, And she wrote about her experiences living in the secret annex. And I just recall, you know, as a young girl, feeling this complete um, connectedness to Anne Frank, and so um, this book, from the time I was probably 10 years old, I think I read it every year from the time I was 10 until the time I was 14. Um, and it was a book that has always stayed with me.
0: And so let's talk a little bit about Anne and just who she is as a person. Who do we? Who is this person, Anne Frank, that we get to know through the diary? What kind of person is she?
1: What I loved about her, you know, I guess, you know, as a child, you're always looking for ways to connect with um, the characters that you're reading about. You know, I I was an incredibly shy girl and I tended to look toward for for characters that I was reading about. I I liked girls who were really uh, strong and brave and fearless and feisty. And so I, uh, I used to read, you know, Pippi Longstocking and, you know, you know, other characters. But when I read Anne Frank, what I loved about her was that she seemed very outgoing and, um, had a very strong sense of herself and, um, seemed like a little, a bit of a rebel. Um, she was a youngest child just like myself with an older sister who was so, you know, smart and beautiful. And I just, so I felt like, she, you know, she was everything that I kind of wanted to be. She seemed, you know, outspoken and rebellious and um, a fighter and strong and resilient. And so I just always um, admired that about her. And I loved her honesty and in, in her writing and and the frustrations that she felt with uh, the members of her family and the people that she was living with. You know, she was very much uh, a young teenage girl. It was very, you know, just authentic to me. And so um, her story... Really resonated with me on many levels. Um, Now, looking back at Anne's story, I could see some of my fascination with her story. I can see some of the the remnants of that. I can see it in my own work and what I choose to focus on and what I choose to write about, actually.
0: Well, we actually see her because, uh, at the beginning of the diary, she's just turned 13. Uh, towards the end, she, uh, turns 15. And, uh, so we get to see this two years of her life where she's really growing up and she does, and the, you know, uh, she does go, th- you know, through a lot of chains and just sort of her, and a lot of different ways physically and her, and just her outlook on life. And so, um, even in these very unusual circumstances, that in. it's a very much a diary of a, uh, a young girl growing up.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yes,
0: and, and so, but a big part of the book is uh, it devoted to these relationships. You know, the other people and the secret annex, but particularly her parents. She, she has a very different relationship with her mother and her father and of course uh peter which becomes a um a relationship that develops as the diary goes on.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. And and I you know I think that you know a, a lot of girls can um relate to uh the difficulties that she's had with her mother. You know I, I personally I, I was really close to my mother and so um that it, that to me is was a little um Hard to read, and I know that later her father said it was difficult for him to read as well. Her feelings about her her mother, but I really um, enjoyed the 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 love and respect that she felt for her father, just the general love that she felt for her for her family, and you know overall. But the way in which she connected with her father, I found particularly um, touching.
0: Yeah, she seemed to have a real connection um, with him, and I think. Part of it is she her frustration is she just didn't feel the same way towards her mother for whatever reason, yes. yeah, yeah, but uh peter uh is who's somebody at, in the beginning of the diary, somebody who just sort of annoys her, and that definitely uh changes as the diary goes on,
1: yes, yeah, um he does and and uh, having reread the diary, you know reading it when you're young and then rereading it. Again, as as an older person, I, I was actually surprised at um, the 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 differences in the way that I saw the diary as I got older, and I I was surprised at and openness and her <laughs> her uh, fascination and connection to, to 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 boys and to her own uh, openness to like attraction to, to to young men. So I was really surprised at that. I don't I don't think I got that when i was younger so um yeah and peter is an interesting character as well because i think in the beginning he's he's seen as so he's almost like a sloth you know he's just so um uninterested and uh you know just see you know the way in which she sees him is so almost like he's like like lazy and dumb and then the the relationship grows into something very different which is which is nice to see
0: I was thinking it's uh, with Anne Frank, her, her last name suits her very well because she is very, you know, <laughs> yes. she doesn't hold back. Yeah.
1: Not at all. <laughs> yeah.
0: And what's remarkable in this book, too, even though, uh, you know, it takes place in this very narrow confines of the seat or annex, which they cannot leave. And you get a definitely get a sense of how, you know, being trapped there informs their daily life. Uh but you wouldn't say she has a narrow view to in other words. It's very wide ranging as she talks about her feelings about nature and the world and and the war that's going on.
1: Yes. Yes. And I, that that to me was interesting. Yeah, that that she was able to, to to have a wider worldview. And I guess that's due in part to their the people who were helping them and, and giving them feeding them some information. And um, so I, I guess that was helpful. Yeah. And I, and I, I love that, that she's always looking to, to broaden her world and to expand her world and to understand her world in a different way. So uh, again, just the level of, of admiration I had for her and um, the, the sense of maturity that she had just really struck me, struck me then. And it struck it strikes me now, you just wonder often wonder how you would have fared in that situation i just can't imagine that i would have fared um as well um in that situation
0: now when i'm re- when i'm reading the book it's it's kind of a strange experience i don't know if you felt the same way because uh because it's a diary and we know what happens after the diary end that she, uh, her, you know, the, her and her family get sent to Auschwitz and she doesn't survive. And so when I'm reading it, it's just it's something that's constantly in the back of my mind. So I know how it ends before it starts. Yes. And it's just, and so it sort of it, it's it's when I'm reading about both when she's you know thinking about you know what she's going to do when she gets older about being a writer and um you know about her uh, joy at the the war might be coming to an end and it's it's very difficult it, and maybe it's, it's it's important way to read it to know um you know there's there's not a way to separate that i suppose as you're reading the diary of um the knowledge of you know of um you know uh what happens to her
1: Yes, I mean, I, I, I have the same feeling. But there, there was a moment when I was thinking about that, just the heartbreak of it, and and knowing that those things weren't going to happen. But then I thought that her story reached so many. This diary has reached so many since it was published. That in many ways her story did live on, and that she did go on to touch so many lives in so many ways. That. You can't help but feel that, you know, that she did go on to become the writer that she wanted and that her words touched, you know, millions and millions of people.
0: Which is something she I think she talks about in the diary about how one she wants to be somebody, you know, a writer who, you know, is it has an effect on people in some way and And that certainly is uh, now i i I know there's uh like there's that one line in the book uh you now how despite everything that she thinks people are basically good heart good at heart, and I'm never quite sure um how i uh feel about that uh particular line um my more optimistic moments i might <laughs> say they but sometimes i think i don't i'm Especially these days I, 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 I struggle with that line, I suppose. And I don't know how you felt about when you come to yeah. a line like that.
1: Yeah. I I, I I see I see I see how you're feeling. Um but I I like to believe on my on my good days, I I feel the same way that that, that people are inherently um, inherently good and that it's fear and ignorance that, that lead them in a different direction and that it's uh, the knowledge and openness and honesty that will get us all to a better place. So um, I I remain hopeful at this point. In January 2020, <laughs> it is on record that I remain hopeful. <laughs> okay.
0: I, will, I will try to do the same then.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Okay>. <laughs> so so what is it about this book? I like I said it came out in 1947 and it's still a book um that is published, that uh, there there are books about the diary that are still published. It's, uh, I don't know how recently, but it, you know, it's made into movies several times. So it's a book that still resonates even after all these years. Why do we keep coming back uh, to this book? Is it to remember? Uh, Is it uh, just the strength of our voice? Is it because we can't seem to still learn the lessons of history or is it sort of a combination of all those things?
1: I think it could be a combination of all those things. Um, For me, you know, I, I think it's this, well, for me personally, it was coming to the book at such a young age, at the age of 10. Uh, first of all, I came to the book at, at a time when I just received my own diary. Um, and so to read a book written in this format, through a diary format, was really fascinating to me. And I, you know, of course, I imagined myself, you know, writing a book every bit as powerful as, as Anne Frank. But also, also being an African American and feeling the hurt and pain of racism and intolerance and discrimination, I felt a certain connection to Anne Frank. And so, you know, I think that the, the Anne Frank story is really one that speaks of resilience and strength. And also talk, and, and on the flip side, it's also, it also speaks of the prevalence of, of hate and intolerance in our society. But her voice, as you mentioned earlier, really is one of hope. And so I think that that's something that we all cling to is this, this feeling of hope. And if, if this young girl in, in the worst of possible circumstances, can remain hopeful, you know, what does that say about us? And, and, and doesn't that mean that we should all remain hopeful?
0: Cause you she, certain, she certainly was not naive about what was going on around her. She was, she was very clear-eyed about, um, her position and what, the possibilities of what they might have been. So I didn't want to give the sense that she didn't. So even though, uh, she didn't know how the, the, the things would finally end up, she knew that was a possibility for her. So she was certainly not naive about that.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Um, is there, uh, oh. And do you do you feel like this, um, like you, you mentioned, you, you had your own diary and, and you sort of felt that connection um, with her. Do you think that uh, inspired you um, to become, uh, to, or at least to start thinking about and eventually become a writer yourself?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, reading this book, you know, and many others, but reading her words as a young girl made me begin to think about first of all I thought you know how could a young girl write so unbelievably well and it made me think about um kind of honing my craft Of course, that diary I saw as kind of you know an audition almost like I I really need to you know get my writing to a better level so I I would I would I was writing my own thoughts but at the same time I didn't just use my diary to just jot down anything i really was trying to write very carefully crafted sentences be sure that i told my story in a way that was compelling like anne frank so i really use that diary you know as a way to really work on storytelling
0: Mm -hmm. because she is quite a remarkable storyteller in her own right storyteller yes Yeah. yeah is there a part of the book that you'd like to share
1: Yes, there, there's a part. Really, actually, it's it's the start of, it's right at the start when they are actually asked to when they're when they are forced to go into hiding, and it's um, from the passage it's dated uh, Wednesday, July eighth, nineteen forty two, and I, I this is um, you know when the real fear begins. I mean that the fear has been building, but here is the first passage where um, everything comes to a head, and uh, I think that. She does an incredible job with conveying the way everyone is feeling and building a certain level of of suspense and letting letting us know, you know, exactly the terror and the real fear that they experienced as Jews. Wednesday, July 8th, 1942. Dear Kitty. Years seem to have passed between Sunday and now. So much has happened. It is as if the whole world had turned upside down. But I'm still alive, Kitty. And that's the main thing, Daddy says. Yes, I'm still alive, indeed, but don't ask where or how. You wouldn't understand a word, so I'll begin by telling you what happened on Sunday afternoon. At three o'clock, someone rang the front doorbell. I was lying lazily, reading a book on the veranda in the sunshine, so I didn't hear it. A bit later, Margot appeared at the kitchen door, looking very excited. The SS have sent a call-up notice for Daddy, she whispered. "'Mommy has gone to see Mr. Van Dan already. "'It was a great shock to me. "'A call-up, everyone knows what that means. "'A picture concentration camps and lonely cells. "'Should we allow him to be doomed to this?' "'Of course he won't go,' declared Margot "'while we waited together. "'Mommy has gone to the Van Dan's to discuss "'whether we should move into our hiding place tomorrow. "'The Van Dan's are going with us, "'so we, shall all be, we should be seven at all.' "'Silence. "'We couldn't talk anymore, thinking about Daddy.' little knowing what was going on, was visiting some old people and the Jude's invalid waiting for mommy. The heat and suspense all made us very overawed and silent. So, you know, it's the start of it and we know, you know, what's coming and it's just, to me, it's just, it's heart-wrenching.
0: I know there's there's so many emotions that go through you know it, it's 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 a book uh that's 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 can be very funny and painful at the same time uh as you're reading through it for so many different reasons yes absolutely yeah well Lisa, uh, thank you so much for taking the time uh to talk to me uh both about your own work and for uh giving me the chance to uh, reread this book and talk to me about it today.
1: Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
0: You can find Lisa's website at lisakleinransom.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled All Together, is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can visit me at jlemont.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And if you'd like to participate in the Dream Gardens podcast, go to the contact page on my website and send me a note telling me who you are and what book you'd like to talk about. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading.